So buy that shoe and then find a program and start running. You know, I mean, even if it's only around the block the first time and just get to where you can go around the block consistently and then go to two blocks and work your way up to a mile and, and two and three miles. And then as soon as you can do three miles, I'd always tell people, enter a 5K race. As soon as you can, enter a 5K race. Because once you do that, that's the show. That's the big time. You're in a race and you'll get a t-shirt and you'll love that t-shirt. You'll wear that t-shirt forever and you'll get a medal maybe. And that's how you become a runner. That's how you become a runner. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. For those of you who are new here, my name is Kim Peek. I am a movement and mindset coach, helping women use movement as a catalyst for change. If you've been around any time at all, you know that I am always talking and saying that running is not just about running. It transforms you not just physically, but mentally, it affects what you believe is possible and helps you in so many areas of your life. And today I'm excited to talk with Len Han. Len is the founder of Hand Shoes. He became interested in running shoes after he started to run recreationally in college. Since then, he has run 21 marathons and has been involved in the local Chicago Area Runners Association as a group leader and has trained hundreds of people to run marathons. Through his experience, he dealt with many different types of injuries and discovered a variety of different issues that people have when wearing running shoes. These experiences inspired him to bring a better running shoe to the market. Lynn has spent, get this, the last 20 years researching and developing the carbon composite suspension technology that is in his new shoe design. Len has launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund the production of these shoes, and we are going to hear all about it today and learn how, if you like what he has to say, that you can get a pair of these shoes in your very own hands. I loved talking to Len. For one, I was so fascinated by what kind of person spends 20 years developing a better shoe technology. That is a marathon in itself. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Lynn Han. Welcome to the show, Lynn. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Kim, thank you so very much for having us on, having me on. I'm really pleased to be here with you. I am so intrigued because you have started a new running shoe company. And I just want to know, how does a person even get started in, how do you start a running shoe company? And what made you think that this would be a good time to start a new running shoe company? Wow. Okay. So that simple question is a whole evening of discussion. If we were to do that, I started out running in college, not, not as part of a track team or anything, but recreationally. And through my early running years, I was like everybody. I was happy. I was enthused. I'm building miles. I'm running races. In 1995, I completed my very first marathon and got a pretty serious injury during during the training, okay? And I had been, since college, bread-knifing shoes apart that either I thought were really nice, 
just to see what's inside, how are they built, or that really offended me, okay, to see what's inside and why isn't this shoe working. And the the shoe that I got the injury from, I was so upset. It was brand new. I bred knifed it apart, and there was so much structure inside of it that that there was no way it wasn't going to hurt me. The forefoot was way too stiff, and so I got an Achilles tendon injury. As a runner that you might know, that's a persistent and hard-to-get-rid-of injury. I was down in Florida with my brother, visiting my brother, who was an aerospace engineer. If you've seen the deployable antennas on satellites, he designs those things. So he's the actual rocket scientist in the family. And I, I, after I had cut the shoe apart, I said this. I'm so frustrated. I said, this is such an awful shoe. I could do better than this. I could build a better shoe than this. And, and he looked at me and got thoughtful and he said, if you think you could build a better shoe than that, then you should try. And well, for, no. I have to stop right there. You gotta appreciate a sibling that's supportive instead of saying, oh, come on. That's awesome right yeah. there. And we've always been that way. My whole family's been that way. My mom was a nurse for 50 years. My dad was an iron worker who specialized in set setting tall steel structures like oil refineries and that kind of thing, gasoline refineries. And my brother and I grew up inventive and building things and that sort of thing. Then he became an aerospace engineer and I became a a telecommunications engineer. I did telephony for most of my career. And so that was just the orientation. He was being quite serious. He was like, I think you should try because I had run enough at that point that I knew something about it. And I was very specific in my criticisms of different shoes. And he knew that. He's like, okay, I get that. I see what's wrong with this shoe. That's a good way of explaining it. And so at that point, I started ordering biomechanical research papers from different researchers that I had read of in the libraries. And when I would send off the self-addressed stamped envelope with a note, I, could you please send me this paper? These people, they're so they're so engaged in getting their learning, getting their research out. They would say, oh, if you like this paper, then you're going to like these three others. And they would send everything back. Oh, that's so I, I, It was fun. And I, I built up quite a library of, of research. And at the same time, I was talking to the front runners at races. What do you like about your shoes? What don't you like about different shoes? And I was talking to orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists and chiropractors about different running injuries. And As this goes along, my first marathon I completed in 95 with Chicago area runners. And in that year, I became a pace leader for the 10-minute pace group out in the West suburbs. And I did that for 17 years. So I've taught hundreds of people how to run marathons, including the woman who ended up becoming my wife. Yeah, so running has been very good to me. I'm happy about that. And at the same time, okay, all these, this new crop of people that would come in every spring for the beginning of the marathon training, I could see what their goals were, their aspirations, their motivations. But I also saw, it because we would talk, when you go and do these long runs, you have plenty of time to talk to your pace group. I also learned a lot about why they hadn't been able to do it in their lives, why they hadn't been able to you know, complete their marathon until now. And so that kind of formed the foundation of what was building for me to become a picture of what was needed in running footwear and was not there, didn't exist. Yeah. So what kinds of things, when you had your checklist of what I like and what I don't like about shoes, what are some of the kinds of things that were on those lists? 
it turns out, okay, it turns out that that foam footwear, okay, the foam that's used in running shoes, it turns out that when you stand on that stuff, it's very soft and then hard. It bottoms out, okay? And if you've ever gone off of uh, a step in your house at night when it's dark and you think you're at the bottom step and you're one step high, mm-hmm. if you do that crash, you do that crash and oh my gosh, I nearly killed myself. If if you had seen, if the lights had been on and you had seen you were one step high, it would have been a non-event. You would have hopped right down. It would have been no big deal. That crash is because your muscles weren't ready for it. They weren't pre-tensioned for they weren't pretensioned for the for that step. And what happens, this is getting now I'm talking, I'm not talking all the biomechanical talk. What happens is that your body, this is very cool. Uh, Dr. Ben O'Nig called this muscle tuning. Your body pretensions for every step you take so that it's smooth and effortless, or as effortless as it can be. The problem is in a foam shoe, it eats up more energy than. It does if, for example, you were barefoot, okay? The foam has a damping capability. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to walk in mud or wet sand, okay? So the foam eats that up. And what I learned watching all the people in my marathon training groups is that they had injuries. They had overtraining problems, which is, is another way of saying injury, but maybe borderline injuries. They had overtraining problems where once they got up to a certain mileage, it was just too hard to keep going. Uh, all the different aches and pains. And are you injured? No, I'm not injured, but boy, do I not want to run today. I really don't want to run today. And I could see that, that the footwear wasn't helping. And it turns out that, okay, back to these biomechanical researchers, Dr. Ben Onig invented the categories of neutral stability and motion control shoes. He invented those a decade before. And later on, he did a research study into when people select based on these categories, does it reduce their injuries? You would think it would, right? Because we've got these very specialized shoes. Turns out that it doesn't. The running shoes don't reduce injuries. Why are we buying them if, if that's if they're not helping? And to say that they're not helping, that led to the to the rise of minimalist footwear. But the whole minimalist footwear movement was created around slim, wiry, muscular runners. Okay, mm-hmm. and if you're not that body type, if you're not that body type. You shouldn't be in a minimal in a minimalist shoe because it's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you, and and everybody found out. Everybody figured that out because they all got hurt. That was huge when, when those shoes oh, were the thing. I know, and and so what came from this? There's a whole story about a black rubber moving sidewalk at O'Hare. I don't know if you want me to go into it, but okay. So at, I've been doing all this biomechanical research, and I'm cutting shoes apart, and I'm training people. And in 97, okay, part of my computer career was to fly out all over the country doing different things. And going through O'Hare's parking level, they had a black rubber moving sidewalk, not metal like an escalator, but black rubber, a belt, like a conveyor belt. And when you stood on this thing, it was, it had a lot of give, a lot of resiliency and not like a trampoline that would bounce you straight up. It wouldn't do that, but it would. If you jogged on it, if you ran on it, it would push you forward. It would help bound you forward. And I noticed that cool feeling because I've always been into the experience of things. So ever since my early days as a bicyclist or as a 
skier, that sort of thing. And as a runner, running hours on end with a pace group, I really got to get a feel for each shoe, each different kind of shoe. And this belt felt amazing. And every now and then I would put down my bags and actually jog on the belt back and forth, around and around. And wow, this is really cool. It's got this unique suspension, hmm. this suspended feel that nothing else had, not a, not any sort of reclaimed tire rubber track or not a trampoline because those have a lot of movement. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It was really taut and firm. And I had this image, man, if I could just get this belt to go 26 miles, ah. be an awesome. it would be an awesome marathon. One evening in August, I think it was 97. I think it was, I'd done two marathons already and training for the third with Kara. So identical, absolutely identical training every year that I've done a marathon. That's good to keep in mind for later. One evening, I grabbed a cooler of Gatorade and towel, and I had nowhere to fly to, but I drove to O'Hare. And as it turns out, the belts, when I got there, the belts in the parking level weren't moving that evening. They were stopped. And I asked the guys, I said, who were working on it, there was the big equipment closet. I said, hey, do you care if I run on these things? And this was before 9-11. They, whatever, we don't care. We could care less. Just stay out of our way. And, and so I put everything down and I had a bag full of shoes that I wanted to try. And I took my shoes off. I'm barefoot. And I start jogging back and forth on the belt that was not moving. And I thought, what the heck? I'd figured out the length and the laps. And I knew how long it would take, how many laps it would take to do a half marathon. And I started running barefoot on these belts. And about an hour into it, okay, now we're talking an hour into it. There were like five sections of belt and hard flooring marble in between. And I would just skip along on my on the front of my feet between those. And then once I hit the belt, I would take off again, really hit it. About an hour into it, I'm looking at my watch going, I'm on pace for a record marathon for me, a record half marathon. And as I finished, I came in at just over two hours, which a normal half marathon would meet for me would be 220. Mm -hmm. Okay, 220 to 230, depending on how hilly it was. And I came in just barely a couple minutes over two hours. And, and that was like, that was the first big epiphany. That was the first big epiphany, the first big, holy cow, there's something going on here. And I resolved right then and there, Kim, I resolved that if I could put this into a shoe, it would be the world's best shoe. It would be an awesome shoe if I could put yeah. what's going on this belt into a shoe. And that launched me into with a heightened commitment because I, I, as I'm running, I'm thinking about all the people that I've trained and I'm thinking about like the high BMI people. Okay. And I'm relatively slender, but I'm high BMI because you can be high BMI if you're muscular. And there's not a single person that I ever trained in the marathon training group even if they were high BMI, like because they were overweight, they were also muscular. If you're carrying some weight, you're doing weight training 24-7. So those people are strong, always, uniformly. And I'm thinking what this belt is doing would be excellent for not only me, but for anyone who's high or higher BMI. And I started looking at what it was doing and, and, and what it comes down to, the word is, suspension. Okay. A foam running shoe, even though it's soft and you squish into it, your foot's only moving like maybe an eighth of an inch in the whole shoe. What I ended up doing after a lot of experimentation, I went through high volume air shoes. I went through like shoes with halves, 
halves of cut racquetballs on them. And, and I ran a couple 10Ks in that shoe. And it was okay. It wasn't bad. But ultimately, I got into composites, like carbon fiber, okay? And what I came up with was, if you imagine the cardboard cylinder uh, in a paper towel roll, mm-hmm. okay? If you flatten that, if you just flatten it all the way to the table, if you flatten that and then let go, it makes an ellipse. Okay. Okay. That that cardboard cylinder makes an ellipse. And if you're the kind of weird nerd that I am, okay, if you're that guy and you squeeze that cardboard ellipse, you notice, wow, this thing feels like it's got a decent like resistance, a decent suspension travel. I made my own. Here, here's actually the second generation. I and you can hear it. It's re- it's, it's it's as rigid as a bike frame part, okay? But when you stand on this thing, it moves, it moves half an inch, okay? Very linearly, linearly with a lot of rebound, with superb rebound. And I thought, this is a footwear suspension. And I started looking at how do I make these into a shoe? Is this, is this making sense? Yeah, but I'm sitting here still trying to think. So there's a popular brand of shoe that is popular with ultra runners that I tried at one time that is very padded. And it felt to me like running in a bounce house where I was like sinking into the quicksand and not getting back up. So I'm looking at what you're showing me and thinking, this to me looks like having your shoe be a pogo stick. So I'm wondering, do you feel like you're sinking or do you feel like you're bouncing forward? Here's the crazy thing, okay? I I love where you're going with this. Now, the foam shoe you were talking about with the real thick midsole, Mm -hmm. okay? I said foam was soft and hard. Remember that? Uh Uh-huh. That really thick thick midsole, they're trying to keep you in the soft range. Okay. They're They're trying to keep you in that soft range without bottoming out, and it works okay. I like those shoes. I like those shoes for foam shoes. They're not bad, but they're not going to they're not going to increase your biomechanical efficiency. It's just a different kind of a foam shoe and if you like it, if it feels good for you, by all means wear it. That's how that is. If the cookie tastes good, eat it. But okay, so the suspension, it turns out that and like here's I'm holding up now a cobbled together running shoe from the early 2000s that has a pair of my suspension in it. Okay? And when you land on this thing, it deflects, okay? The heel deflects, and then your body comes ac- comes over the middle of the shoe, and the heel extends, the suspension extends with all that force, and it helps to transfer that energy to the forefoot. And then as the ball of your foot starts to roll up into the stride, there's a little, see that little hinge? It has a hinge. The forefoot suspension is hinged, and as you come off of that, what just happened is that all that energy went into pushing you forward, not up. All right. You went so forward. I want to explain what the shoe that you held up looks like for people who are listening. So we, what you were showing me is just another brand of shoe that you slice yep. apart the way you were talking about how you used to slice and dice the shoes. And you yep. inserted your technology into basically the sole. Do I have that? Exactly. Model, right. What they call what they call the midsole. Yep. And then my other question related to this, because we're talking some pretty fancy technology here, is the rules around shoes have really started to change more now that more of these carbon fiber shoes are coming out. And 
are they accessible and what provides an unfair advantage to different people? What do you know so far about where your shoes fit into that and if they are going to be legal for racing? Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. My bigger goal is to help all the people that I've ever trained, okay? And not just them, but in your everyday life, I've run into, my mom was a nurse for 50 years and, and I worked at the nursing home in Iowa, okay? In high school where, where she worked. And a lot of people have difficulty just getting out of bed and walking, okay? They're, they have mobility limitations. And so I would love to help out the runners and I would love to help out all the people who have pain in their normal day-to-day activities. And I believe this shoe, the suspension, I really do believe, and we've gotten feedback. There's a bunch on our website, handshoes.com. There are a bunch of uh, testimonials from people who have limiting pain, chronic pain, who've worn our shoe and found a lot of relief from that. Okay. And so those are the people that I'm most focused on. And all of those people, the regular runners, you can wear it in a race. If a shoe's banned, that just means that you can't place, get first, second, or third. And if you're an age grouper, like first in your age group, you might not be able to get that. But so I don't really care, honestly. And I think we would be, because our whole focus is on fatigue and injury reduction, I don't think it's going to be all that helpful if someone wants to ban us, but it could happen. And everything that was good in composites was banned at one time. Your oversized head tennis rackets were banned when they came out. And Mm -hmm. now you can't buy a tennis racket that's not an oversized head. And the same thing with hourglass skis and oversized head golf drivers, all those things got banned. And so if that happens, it happens. Yeah. And I do like where you're going with that because you're trying to make running more accessible to the normal person. And if somebody was a super competitive age grouper, they could use your shoe in a certain percentage of their training, also include the shoe that they will be racing in and race in the other shoe if that became a concern. But you're trying to help people also, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, get in the training miles that they need to be able to complete that marathon too. And part of that involves being able to be consistent without getting injured. hundred percent. You should sell our shoes. You should be on the board. <laughs> you never know. I might, after this is over, decide this is a <laughs> new thing. And, and in the midst of doing all this training of people every year for 17 years, I also talked with a lot of people, tons of people at the pizza parties and people would bring their friends. And I, people would seek me out because at the 10 minute pace is everybody's pace. If you're a 9.30 or a 9 or an 8.30, you're one of the faster runners. But 10 is something a lot of people can do. And so people would approach me. And that's what I was. I'm fast in some things like skiing, but I'm a middle of the pack runner for marathons. And people would say, well, what does it take for me to, to get into the program? And can I run a marathon? And I'm like, well, probably, yes, you can is the automatic answer. It'll take some work. And you have to be able to run six miles at the beginning of the program to get onto the program. And there were people who would approach me saying, I've only ever run half a mile, maybe a mile. And we would sit down and go through, what are you doing? What's working and what's not? And lots of times the answer was that they had inadequate shoes. And I'm like, okay, go to our local specialty running store, 
try on three or that, have them evaluate you, however they do, they're trained for that, and try like at least three different pairs on the treadmill. And a simple rule of thumb for buying shoes biomechanically is that if the shoe does feel good to you on a treadmill, then it is good for you. So buy that shoe and then find a program and start running. You know, I mean, even if it's only around the block the first time and just get to where you can go around the block consistently and then go to two blocks and, and work your way up to a mile and, and two and three miles. And then as soon as you can do three miles, I'd always tell people, enter a 5K race. As soon as you can, enter a 5K race. Because once you do that, that's the show. That's the big time. You're in a race and you'll get a t-shirt and you'll love that t-shirt. You'll wear that t-shirt forever and you'll get a medal maybe. And that's how you become a runner. That's how you become a runner. And so I convinced a lot of people, I had people in my group, I can't believe you got my sister to start running. She's been watching you all these years and you're doing it and she really wants to. And now she's doing it. Then they would come back. I did my first 5k. That is the most awesome, especially when you influence somebody to do it. You do that. That's what you do all day long. And But me coming from the engineer kind of point of view, I, I, I was convinced that the shoes weren't doing it, that the shoes could be doing a lot more for us than they were. Okay. That, that we had. And so that's where that suspension came in. This episode is sponsored by Iris Digital Media Group. Iris Digital Media Group helps small business owners and entrepreneurs master their message so they can connect with new prospects and convert them to new business. If you feel like you're spinning your wheels, putting out content, and you're not getting sales, engagement, or even a few questions here or there, it's time to try something new. Did I mention that Iris Digital Media Group is my business? I started it with my daughter, Abby who is an actress living in New York City. We offer consulting services and can help develop a content and messaging strategy that translates to sales. Or we can do all the content creation for you. Graphics, video editing, audiograms, Instagram reels, YouTube thumbnails, and optimization, and more. It's all part of your messaging and content strategy. Email us at kim at irisdigitalmediagroup.com or abby at irisdigitalmediagroup.com and let's talk about how to make your content marketing more effective. And that's where this guy came in and, and I first ran this in a marathon in 2002. Okay, that's when this actually became real and I ran it two days after I finished gluing it up. I, I, I hadn't run it. I'd, I'd taken it I'd taken it down the block and back just to see if it felt like it was working because I'd made some previous versions that were way different, but like this, and you see the crazy little piece of blue foam in there, mm-hmm. that, that little, there's a little wedge at the hinge of this thing. It kind of um, looks like a catapult. It, it, I was going to call it catapult. Oh, okay. I was going to call it catapult, but it turns out that's trademarked. By a oh, chicken. Okay. But that's what I was going to call it. Yes. And that, that blue foam you saw there, I was gluing the shoe together. I was making parts and I ran my thumb through a table saw two day, three days before the marathon, cutting that foam. And so that blue is shoe foam still in my thumb. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I blood, sweat and tears. I had blood down the front of my shirt and went to the, 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 the ER and they cleaned it out and stitched it up and 
And so three days later, after the shoe was glued and, and ready, three days later, I'm standing on the starting line in 2002 with a big bandage around my thumb and I take off. And what was funny, what was so funny, I'm showing the shoe to people in my pace group at Kara, the people I knew, all the other people that were running the marathon. And hey, look what I'm running the marathon in. And they're like, ooh, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Do you? Have you thought this through? And I'm like, I mean, yeah. come on. Now, now we all know, <laughs> don't try anything new on race day. Standard know, right? rule. So they were good <laughs> to question you. But it looks like it's worked out okay. So I started that. Okay, so this is the second big epiphany. The first was the belt. The second big epiphany was was this marathon. And long story short, at the halfway mark, I'm looking at my watch again, thinking I'm on pace for a PR in a full marathon. I'm going to pick the pace up a little bit. And the cool thing, it's not just the time, okay? It was the experience. You hate in a marathon to work your way through the pack by going left and right, by, by, by swishing around laterally, because that adds time and it kills your gait and all that. It felt like with this shoe, it felt like I always had the gas pedal to go forward diagonally through the pack and like cut through the pack, always mm-hmm. moving forward. And at the halfway mark on pace for a PR. So I picked up the pace and it turns out I, I finished the second half of that marathon faster than the first half, a Very negative nice. split. And the, the last mile was the fastest mile of the whole marathon. And, and that's and, pretty unheard and, of for normal well, people. I know. And so I felt like one of the, one of the front runners, at least a little bit. And in nine previous marathons, okay, with the exact same, I mentioned it earlier, with the exact same training, the CARA program, my PR was four hours and 38 minutes in nine previous marathons. In this marathon, I cut 15 minutes off. Wow, that's huge. 6%. And so that was the second big epiphany that, wow, okay, now I have a shoe. And if I can just get this thing, I, I started with a belt and then I made different kinds of pieces. And now I've got a, a suspension and I put it into a shoe and now I just need to find a way to get this shoe to market. Amazing. That was, yeah. Okay. And so immediately at the finish of that marathon in the finishing tent where they've got the, the Goose Island beer and everyone's happy. Yay. We finished the marathon. I come in and, and people are like, how did that go? And I'm like, I cut 15 minutes off my PR. And they're like, let me see that shoe again. And And so in the next weeks, I loaned this shoe to a bunch of different people who took it out running and uniformly they came back saying, can you make me a pair? I need some of these. These are awesome. So you said that was still back in 2002, though. So what happened between then and getting to you have a Kickstarter, you are making these shoes now. What happened in between there to get you to this point? Okay, so lots. it was a journey, lots of blood, sweat, and tears. If you've ever run in a Nike air shoe, okay, Nike didn't invent air. An ex-Apollo aerospace engineer named Frank Rudy invented air. Did you know that? I didn't. It didn't. Uh, uh, the, the book Shoe Dog from Phil Knight, Okay. Has a whole section talking about it's a lovely memoir. Phil really nailed it. The the whole struggle, and Frank was the guy who invented air, and I I had been corresponding with him ever since the early air days. I sent him a, a card when the first air shoes came out. 
I didn't even know who he was. I said, whoever invented the tailwind, this is for them. And I sent it to Nike and uh, it got to Frank and he sent back a nice little note. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. We're really proud of the shoe. And so when I invented this, I reached out to Frank and said, hey, I've got a shoe that I just cut 15 minutes off my PR in the marathon with, and I want to take it to market. What should I do? And he wrote back and said, you should find a company, not mine. <laughs> you should find a company that likes the technology and get on board with them and build it. And so that's what we tried to do. I got together with a friend. We formed a company and we started looking at companies to, to take this to, to license it. And a lot of years in there, we had a couple of go rounds with with the two big companies, okay? And we filed patents and got patents approved and all of that sort of thing. And in neither case did the shoe come to market for, for the craziest of reasons. It's a whole long story. But at the end of that second go round, we were committed still to the shoe. And, and people have asked me, why would you keep pushing on this for 20 years? Why would you do that? That's so insane. That's so nuts. And really, Kim, if if you had a chance to run a mile in this shoe in your size, you would know why. Everyone would know why. Everyone will know why. I, I, it's, it's I'm good. really digging this story from, I think it's a <laughs> nice parallel between the marathon, just the whole <laughs> symbolism of you, you don't give up, you pace yourself, it seems hard. And then just from a business standpoint too, you obviously have a good product that you truly believe in. Otherwise, think about how many people give up who works towards something like that for 20 years. That's amazing. I'm, I am so excited for you. I think this is going to be so exciting to watch. My, my license plate, I had a vanity license plate that, that said tenacious. That's, you know, I've done in the interim after that second, that second go round with another company, another big company that you would know after that failed to take off to the market, I got, I needed to get a different job. So I got a job in another industry for a while, for six years. But at the end of that um, period, I came back to the shoe and said, I, I can't let this go. I really have to redouble my effort and get it across the finish line because 90 yards isn't a touchdown. You got to go the whole thing. And 24 miles isn't a marathon. You've got to finish that last little bit. And so here we are today with Okay, so we found a little bit of money, my partner and I, we found a, an investor and who believed in it. And we reached out to, to the kinds of companies that could help us. And what we have now is a shoe that is the best version of this that I've ever conceived of. And people have run this. People have run this shoe. And there are some reviews that are out right now from people on our website, some of them, but some of them on their Instagram channels who have run this and uniformly were getting, this is the best shoe I've ever run in. This is like a whole nother piece of gear. You wouldn't call a, you wouldn't call a five wheel inline skate. You wouldn't call that a running shoe, but you can go 30 miles an hour with it. I have, I love that. Similarly, this is, this is almost not a running shoe. This is a whole different kind of a piece of gear that, that puts full suspension on your feet and if you've ever seen those amputee guys with the, the carbon fiber prosthetics and how fast they can go, this is those carbon fiber prosthetics for people who don't have any missing legs. If you've got both legs, well, you can put this on and run like they do. So you also captured my interest when you were talking about the 
potential to reduce injury. Can you talk a little bit about how this helps people reduce their injury? Because that's a huge thing, especially for, I know I call myself the overeager, overzealous runner. And I spent (laughs) a lot of time in my first couple of years chronically injured, which is how I became, how and why I became a coach. I was looking for solutions to that. And so I know that it is just common. You go to run your first marathon and how many people don't run their first marathon because they overtrained or their biomechanics were off or they weren't strong enough, whatever, so that they created an inner injuries. So tell us a little bit about why you think or how the shoe prevents injuries. That's another one of those big questions, you know, simple know, questions with, a, with, a, big, with yeah. a big answer, with a big answer. And okay, there's two kinds of data. There's the data you get from a study that you paid for. And we have one study like that. That's our systemic oxygen consumption study, where we proved that running in this shoe burns less oxygen for the That's same true. pace, for the same pace, for the same person on the same day than running in a foam shoe, okay? This burns significantly, a big number, less oxygen than a foam shoe does. And the most evolved carbon shoes have to be working that way too, okay? I would love to develop this shoe into a marathon racing flat and then compare it to those designs someday to see whose is reducing more oxygen. Because the cool thing about that the cool thing about you say, what, what does reducing oxygen mean? Like the mount coming in and the mount coming out and how much you're reducing it in your consumption. What does that mean? And it's our reduction with a much earlier version of this shoe was 2.2%. And, and normally when you're measuring that kind of reduction, you might get 0.1%, 0.2%. It was 2.2%, 10 times higher reduction. And it's the same as running... 0.6 miles less of a marathon. So it's a, it's like a, at, at 25, at 25.6, you get to go, okay, I'm done. See you guys, you know, bye-bye. I'm finished. It's like that. And even more importantly though, it's what does that mean to reduce that oxygen? It means that the big muscle groups, the calves, the hamstrings, the quads, the glutes, the low back, the core, and maybe upper body a little bit, those are all burning less oxygen, which means they're burning less muscular glycogen, the muscle fuel that you have, that you carbo load to get to build up and, and get, they're burning less of that. It's like you go from being a fuel thirsty car to now you're a Prius and you're zipping along, burning less fuel. And that same thing, okay, so that's the data we did pay for and that we did do, the, that kind of a study. The other kinds of studies for injury reduction they're a little more complex. They're a little more hard to define, but we have a lot of anecdotal data, which is individuals coming to us that have, we have one friend, one one woman who ran, she was convinced that her marathon was ruined because she, towards the end, like just before the marathon, she showed up with a stress fracture in her leg. And she's like, she's so mad. She's like, my marathon is ruined. And I'm like, I'm literally holding a pair of shoes in your size that just came in shipment. And she said, this was the DC marathon, the Marine Corps. She said, bring them with you and I'll wear them at least. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to support my husband. And I gave her the shoes at the airport. And two days later, the night, the day before the marathon, she said, called me and said, I'm going to run the marathon. What about your stress fracture? And she said, I feel good. I've been walking all over town doing all the tourist 
sites in DC and I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to run the marathon. And she did. And she did. And she didn't set a PR, but she was able to complete it with no pain either. You know, that's amazing. Okay. So pause here, still, (laughs) but just for legal reasons, let's remind people that you should not run a marathon with a stress fracture without consulting your doctor. But I do love the story. <laughs> I do love the story. Sure. And I think it's significant that she was not in pain walking around town, even in the shoe. And she called me the next Monday. Everyone, we'd flown back to Chicago. She was at her job. And she called me and said, and said, I completed the marathon. I didn't see her. She said, I completed the marathon just fine. I felt great. I'm like, well, I'll swing by and pick up the shoes. And she's, I'm keeping them. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, I'm keeping them. Can I keep them for couple more weeks. I'm like, sure, just don't lose them. Don't hang on to them. We don't have that many pairs. Mm-hmm. And, and a couple of weeks later, she called me, you know, in tears saying, I, I just bought a brand new pair of a high end shoe. You know, I wanted to give you your shoes back. And I bought a brand new pair of a shoe that everyone loves. And I go out for a six miler and two miles into it, my leg is on fire. Why is my leg on fire from the stress factor? And I'm like, it's what the suspension does compared to what foam does. It's different. And I'm so sorry. And she got over it. Actually, she still has a pair of shoes. I Recently, I gave her another pair of shoes because she's had another nagging knee injury show up. And so she's wearing my shoes in her walking commute to work to try to help cure her knee injury. And so when we finally do a study that tracks injury potential, I think we'll be able to prove that this suspension reduces injuries for people, like literally reduces injuries or prevents them so that they can run more, walk more, run more, get out and do cardio more. Okay. And if you can do cardio, you can lose weight. And are you seeing these types of results in people who are newer to running or people that have been running a while or all across the board? everybody. Because of the suspension, just standing still, we've shown this, we've demonstrated the suspension is sitting there quivering up and down, even if you're standing still. And for every bit of motion that it makes, where it's absorbing energy and then pumping it back to you, for every bit that it does, your muscles don't have to. So So I'm... I am so curious about this. I am pretty (laughs) sure that the minute we get done recording, I'm going to go try to buy myself a shoe. So before what what, what size, what size are you? I was that this is where I was going with this question. So how do we know what size we are? Is is there a sizing charge or is there a certain brand of shoe? If you wear this shoe, this is your size. Okay. So our shoe is on sale right now at handshoes.com. If you go to hand, H-A-N, shoes.com, right on that page, there's a link to our Kickstarter where you can buy the shoes and we're doing the craziest thing where a carbon shoe is normally a couple hundred, $250, okay? We're selling this shoe for $99. Which is a steal. With, well, and what we're That's trying to do That's a great price is, for a running shoe. It's a great price for a running shoe. It's an insane price for a full carbon shoe, Absolutely. much less a, a high-tech design like this. And we're doing that because we want to get it on as many pairs of feet as we can in this, in this initial foray into the marketplace. We want to get it on as many pairs of feet as we can so that everyone figures out 
what this goopy looking shoe can do for them. I am super curious. I love talking to people about running shoes. So I am super curious and I'm going to have to go get myself a pair. So well, we go and, to the and so, and so the, the sizing, there's that silver device that you put your foot in mm-hmm. to measure your size called a Brannock device, mm-hmm. actually, the guy who invented it. And you measure your size and it's true to size. If the device says that you're a, a women's nine, then you're a women's nine. Okay. You don't need to. You don't need to fudge your sizing. Like, like so we don't need to do. size up and say, okay, yeah, no. I need to add an extra half an inch or whatever. And you just whatever the device says you are. That's what, what you should order. Yeah. Okay. And then, since this is a Kickstarter, are things in production yet, or how long do you have to wait to get your shoes? Okay, so we're saying six months from the time the Kickstarter ends to the time of delivery. And my goal is to get them into people's hands before the fall marathon season. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So that they have time to get a client acquainted with the shoe and then run it. All right. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure people know about your company or the shoe? The thing that's hard to convey is like, I, and we got to do a video of this. When people stand up, when they put it on and the first time they stand up, uniformly everybody gets this dreamy sort of expression (laughs) on their face and they start bouncing from side to side and then they go back and forth and it's a whole different experience to wear this thing and my goal is now and always has been to be able to get people out of the door for whatever if it's to the mailbox great if it's around the block great if it's for your first 5K, great, or 10K, or half, or full marathon. And by the way, for all the triathletes, we've gotten tons of feedback that when you get off the bike, this is a great shoe to start running on. Yeah, I see the bike. I see the bike. And so this is, so doing bricks, doing training where you're doing the bike and then the run, this is going to be an awesome shoe for triathletes as well. And, And it's hard to convey that, saying this. It's much easier once we get enough pairs, once we get inventory to say, Instead of all this talking that I'm doing, just say two words. Try this. And I feel like you and just issued a challenge. So the first time I try on my brand new shoe, I'm going to make sure that somebody in my house has the video camera turned on <laughs> to watch my facial expression and see if I yeah. start doing that little shimmy. I know. I know. We should find a name for it. And, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yes. The shimmy or whatever. Yeah. The Luna Lovegood, something <laughs> like that. All Um, right. It has been great talking to you. I love hearing about the shoe. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Kim, thank you so very much for, for having me. And anything we can do for you, let us know. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run. And you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.